Welcome to the Messiah Podcast. We are so glad you tuned in today. Whether you are driving, doing chores, or taking a walk, we hope the Lord quiets your head and your heart to hear truth and be challenged through His Word. Without further ado, let's dive into the message. Good morning. If we haven't met, my name is Matt Lidekanen. I'm one of the pastors here at Messiah, and it's really great to be with you. And if you're online with us, thanks for joining us. It's really great that you're here. And uh, I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles, uh, however you have them, hardcover in the pew backs, or if you want to open your phone, um, or turn into Genesis 40, but we'll actually be um, the first couple of verses just before that, just to catch us up, just to recap. Maybe you weren't here the last couple of weeks, or maybe you missed one or two of those. Um, so we're going to take some time to recap that. Um, but, you know, I just want to uh, draw attention to one thing. Over the course of the message, there'll be a portion, we're going to be looking at an image. We'll be looking at a, a painting by Evelyn Dunbar called Joseph in Prison. And we're going to take three different sections of it. And I just invite you just to kind of shift gears. Usually it's like, okay, you're looking at text, you're looking at, at words on a page, but just kind of open your mind, open your heart to, to kind of meditate on an image and let it just deepen the story for you, deepen your, your experience of this. So, um, starting at verse 20 from Genesis chapter 39, so back maybe a page or a few paragraphs. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those he held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So a quick recap, you know, our friend Joseph, he's gone through a lot. Two weeks ago, we looked at how his brothers hated him. I mean, just seething anger and disgust at their brother. And that wasn't entirely without cause. Because as you read the story, it sort of plays out. We have this this baby of the family, Joseph, uh, the favorite son of Jacob's favorite wife. So no connection, right? No connection at all. Um, And I'm sure, and of course, Joseph being the center of attention, he's not shy about being in the center of connection. Jacob gives him this beautiful coat that signifies kind of the favor of he's choosing Jacob to be the firstborn, the inheritor of everything that he owns. Not Reuben, the firstborn of Leah, but the firstborn of of Rachel. And I can almost see him carrying this coat out to where his brothers are working hard in the fields and he's kind of like gets his steamer out. He's like, goodness, I got to get these wrinkles out of my coat. You know, he starts doing that. And all the while, his brothers are out there in the same ratty t-shirts and jeans that they've been wearing since like three years ago. They're like, gosh, I hate this guy. can't believe this. And then even though they made it very clear that they had hated him, Joseph did not read the room very well every single time he came in for breakfast that morning to talk about his dreams. He waltzes on in, throws a couple flapjacks on his plate. Hey, guys, do you want to hear about this dream I had? No. All right, I'll tell you. And he tells it all in excruciating detail. And it says they hated him all the more. Of course, so that eventually leads him being thrown into a pit and sold off into slavery. Bad outcome there. Descends into a new low. 
But God gives him favor with Potiphar, who's this Egyptian aristocrat, and he has all of the, he's managing this guy's household. But then his wife kind of takes a fancy to to Joseph, and he is thrown into prison because of a certain accusation. And he finds himself at an all-time low. He's quite literally hit rock bottom. And so he's in the place where the king's prisoners are kept, but it's still a prison in ancient Egypt. Might have been not the worst prison in ancient Egypt, but I can't imagine that the best prison in ancient Egypt was that much better. It's not exactly the Ritz-Carlton. It was a cell. On the outside, trees and grass and sky. You can breathe in the fresh air, feel the sun on your face and the wind at your back. Not in prison. Farthest you can go are the cold iron bars sunk deep into that concrete. You can stick your hand out a little bit, maybe even a bit of your forearm. But that's as far as you can go. Inside, that cell is solid stone. And the night air has made everything cold and moist. And it has that damp smell. Everything is rough and harsh and hard. The walls, the floors, the cots. There's no high pile carpet. There's no cushions. There's not even a pillow. It's just hard. Everything inside this this cell is intended to keep you on the inside and hope and light and life on the outside. It's a jail cell. And Joseph is made in charge of a jail cell. And I have to think, you know, in a place like that, in a moment like that, that it has to only be in, a, in 2020 hindsight that Joseph could look back and tell his children, the Lord was with me. He showed me kindness and granted me favor in the eyes of the prison warden. We have times like this. We find ourselves in a jail cell of our experience in our situation. And we don't have, in those moments, the benefit of 2020 hindsight, do we? We can't look and say, oh, the Lord is with me. He's granted me favor. And it feels like in those moments that, as far as we can tell, we're stuck. We are confined. There is no way out. There are iron bars, concrete walls, damp, musty smells. That's what it feels like. Our situation entraps us. And maybe for you, it's, it's a troubled relationship. Work is excruciating. One of your kids is having a really hard time and you don't know how to help. Depression is suffocating. Your faith doesn't feel like it used to feel. You long for companionship, but you're feeling alone. And and whatever it is, whatever that jail cell of a situation is, you look through the bars. You see how life could be. You see other people living the life that you feel like you ought to or could. But there's how do you get out? 
You don't know how. Do you feel like you're in a prison cell today? God is with you. Even there. He's with you in this. So you're not alone. But that's also true in more ways than one. Because we, like Joseph, are joined with others in our cell. Reading on to verse 1 of chapter 40. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt defended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. So we can see, as we shift our view down in this painting, we have our prisoners. We have Joseph in the center wearing the red. In the days of kings and pharaohs, the position of the royal cupbearer, the royal baker, I mean, these were pretty big positions. It doesn't seem like they might be. They're not mere kitchen attendants because these guys were in charge of everything that Pharaoh ate and everything that he drank. And as a result, they had close quarters with Pharaoh. They were in his presence probably almost every day. That cupbearer was putting the cup of wine in Pharaoh's hand. That baker was serving that loaf of bread to Pharaoh on his plate. And so as a result, they were in high political circles. They could be a good partner in a coup attempt, in an in a assassination attempt against Pharaoh. And so this, these men had to be highly trusted. Slip a little poison in the wine, bake it into the dough, who's going to know? So these guys, they required a lot of trust. This is a significant position to find themselves in. In many ways, they held Pharaoh's life in their hands. But obviously that goes two directions. They uh, had a lot of significance, but Pharaoh even more so. Being king of Egypt at his word, they could be imprisoned or worse. And for whatever reason, these men of high standing in Pharaoh's court hit rock bottom with Joseph. They get sent down into this pit. And you can see from the posture in this painting that this is what being in a pit feels like. They're depressed. They look very uncomfortable, very dejected, very downcast. And it says that Joseph attended them. He served them. And they have found themselves sort of in this community, three little jailbirds living in community together. And I think there's something beautiful and redemptive about being in community like that. When you find yourself in prison, so to speak, like Joseph, it's not uncommon to look up and see there's others there with you. When you find yourself in that position, look up at the church. This situation makes me think of the church. Lutheran reformers talked about this idea of the mutual consolation of the brethren. This idea that hurting and broken people can comfort one another, not just with the hope of getting out of the jail cell of pain one day, 
Although there is that. We encourage each other with those words. But also by the mere fact that someone is there with them. In the midst of their pain, in the midst of their brokenness, their isolation, whatever they're experiencing, there's someone there with me. Not just someone there who kind of like, I don't know, they're looking in from the jail bars, like they see, they have compassion on you, but there's someone there in there with you. Because as many of us who've gone through significant pain, significant what, the, what St. John of the Cross calls the dark nights of the soul. You need not somebody who looks on the outside in, but from the inside at you. And they say, I know what you're going through, and you know what they, when they tell you that, they're not, they're not for a second uh, exaggerating. You know that they, to a level, know what you're experiencing, feeling, and going through. That's so necessary. Because some people can say this, and we say some terrible things, and, and God forgive us for the terrible things that are said at, at funerals. Things like, if you lose a child, God forbid. There have been people who have said, it's okay, you can have others. Or if you lose a, a parent or a grandparent, I, I know what it feels like to go through loss. My, I've, I've lost a dog. These aren't words from someone who's in the pit with you. These are words from someone on the outside looking in with the best of intentions, trying to help, but they can't. But the fact is that there is somebody, there are people that God places in our lives with us in the jail cell of life that know what's going on in that jail cell. They know these damp prison walls and the, and the moist smells just as well as we do if not better. And in 2 Corinthians, I like how Paul puts this. He talks about this kind of mutual comfort in this way. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. A lot of comfort. In solitude, God promises to be with us, just like he was with Joseph. He promises that he's given us of his Holy Spirit so that we have the presence of the Comforter. That is one of the titles of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, that God, the Holy Spirit, is present with his Christians in the midst of their situation. But even in that situation where he never promises to to leave us, no matter how bad things get, it's a comfort all by itself. But in then community... In the presence of others in the church, we have comfort magnified. The solitude, the word that God has spoken to us in the solitude of our night is then spoken in magnitude in community. And it's maximized and it's increased. He comforts us in all our troubles, but in community we can comfort those with the comfort we've received from the presence of Jesus in the midst of our suffering. It's in the midst of community where we're truly seen and known, loved and supported, in amazing, beautiful, great times, and also in really hard, dark, and stormy times. That's what happens in community. That's why community is so important. And that's what I find so beautiful about a church. It's not a community where we pretend that we're not broken. It's a community where we can bring our brokenness. It's a place where you can be transparent where you can confess your sins to God and to other people and say, you are forgiven. 
I am forgiven. Where you can be real about your grief or about your depression or about your loss or about your loneliness or whatever it is that you're feeling. And you can find people who say, I know kind of what you're saying. Or I am right there with you. That's what happens in community. That's a vision of of the cross. It's where we can bring all the garbage in our life. We can offload all that stuff onto Jesus Christ in the benefit of community where we can share that load that we carry with other people. And I think oftentimes in our highly individualistic culture, it's, it's terribly hard to be raw and terribly hard to be vulnerable. But it's so necessary. In all honesty, I think that is the very purpose of Christian community. To bear one another's burdens, it says. I mean, it says it in the New Testament. Bear one another's burdens. That's what Paul says. And it's to comfort one another with the comfort we have ourselves received in Jesus. What a beautiful vision of community. What a beautiful hope that we have in one another that God meets us in the voice or in the caring gaze of a friend in this place. It's all about the mutual consolation of the saints. all about togetherness. Love can't happen in a vacuum. Growth can't happen in a vacuum. Some say say you you can be a Christian but not part of the church. And I say no. I think being a Christian, whether you like it or not, you've already been integrated into the life of the church. So get, be, a, be part of it. Enjoy it. You can't grow spiritually. You can't do a lot unless you're connected relationally. Theoretically, you know, a child can grow up apart from parents, apart from, from adults in their life. They can grow up physically, but will they grow up emotionally? Will they grow up spiritually? I dare say not. They'll be emotionally and spiritually stunted all their life. And in a similar way, we need others in our lives to grow up spiritually, to grow up emotionally. Because apart from those influences, apart from those mentors, apart from that that teaching we receive, we will not be all that God wants us to be. We need one another. It says we are the body of Christ and each individually members of it. Isolation is a spiritually unhealthy and dangerous thing and sometimes we choose it. I invite you to choose community instead. Communities where healing, growth, and maturity can occur, it's where Jesus meets us. And it says, where two or three are gathered, there am I with them. Jesus is with us when we are gathered in the context of community and in fellowship. And Jesus is gathered here in this Joseph story. And it's this beautiful picture. Let's read on. So uh, the last half of verse 4. After they had been in custody... For some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams." So now what happens after this? Joseph, Johnny on the spot, he, he describes their dreams to them. 
And we scan down the lower half of the painting and we see Joseph, the, the steward of the prison. He's serving these men. But what happens in these dreams is the chief cupbearer squeezing wine back into Pharaoh's cup and Joseph says, well, what this dream means is that you're going to be restored to your position. Please remember me, by the way, when you get there. And then, unfortunately for the baker, his dream meant that his, in three days, the Pharaoh would lop his head off and impale him on a pole. Two very different interpretations. And you never had two men want someone to be right and wrong so badly all at the same time. Now I want you to look at Joseph, though, in this painting. You can see he's doing, he's serving, right? I think I was reading about this. It looks like he's pouring some milk, maybe just to prepare their breakfast, just, just coming to them and caring for them. Does this, does this image of a servant conjure up any other image in your mind? What about, what about this image right here? Luke twenty two twenty seven says, For who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Sorry, that's hard to read. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. That was the posture of Jesus. Now take a look at Joseph again. Jesus, like Joseph, became a suffering servant. Like Joseph, he came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. He was sold for pieces of silver to die. He suffered for the sake of his people to rescue them from sin. He descended into the pit, into the prison of death, only to rise again three days later, breaking free, taking hold of the keys. Now, in the bringing it home, maybe you're feeling to be in a prison. Maybe you know someone who is in a prison, so to speak. And the idea that God is with us can sometimes feel a bit distant. Because you can read that, you know, 2020 hindsight, oh, God was with me. But what does that mean? Well, it means that God really was with you. In this way, that Jesus, the Son of God from eternity, did not just serve us without feeling like a servant. Do you hear me? He didn't serve us without feeling like a servant. The light of the world didn't come into our darkness and not experience our darkness himself. Just like Joseph, Jesus was sent into the darkness of our jail cell, into the darkness of our world. And at the same time, his humble love and his sacrifice brought the light in. 
Just as Joseph brought clarity to the confusion of those men's dreams, Jesus can bring truth into our situation as one who has himself entered in to our our situation, who knows the contours, who knows those damp prison walls, that that hard concrete floor. He knows that place. He knows it really well. Isaiah says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Jesus brings his light while also at the same time experiencing your darkness. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus has ascended into heaven and is reigning at God's right hand, but he's also here right now in the midst of your situation. No matter what you're going through, he's here on his knees ready to serve you. Can we put that picture up of Joseph again? He's there on his knees and he asks, just like Joseph asked, why do you look so sad? What a gift that the God of the universe comes to you on his knees and sees your your face. He sees how you feel. He sees the, the burden of your heart and says, why do you look so sad? Please tell me. How incredible is God's grace that he cares for you? And I was writing this and just, it seems silly this morning, but it just it fits. So, Holy Spirit, thanks. Uh, it just reminded me of the children's book. I don't know if you've read this book before. Maybe you read it to your kids. You had it read to you at one point or another. But it was, How Do I Love You? How do I love you? It's impossible to say. I love you on your very best and your very worst of days. I'm happy when you're happy. I'm sorry when you're sad. And even though it may not show, I love you when you're mad. Although for God, it's not quite impossible to say, is it? Because he did say it. Though not with words. He showed you. He loved you by dying on the cross for you, rising for you, to give you hope, freedom, forgiveness, and abundant life. He's given it. He's shown it. He's demonstrated it. It's right there. Story of testimony. If, if Jesus is any story of testimony, that he has something good around the corner. And we also, in community, as a church, are here to walk alongside you, to serve you. We care about you. I care about you. This is a place that is a hospital for sinners. It is a shelter for the least and the lost. It's not a museum of saints. Far be it. No, it's not that. It's a place for everybody. And 50 years from now, I still dream that's going to continue to be that place for everyone to experience Jesus' compassion, his comfort, and his love. It's why we've been doing this campaign of building a future, leaving us legacy. This is the legacy that is to come is, is what we want people to receive well off into the future. Because the world will change around us, but God's heart for people, it will never, ever change. Day by day, year after year, Jesus is going to be present in this place, and I want to be ready to meet those people. Ready with a bowl, down on his knees, ready to serve them in his kindness, in his compassion, in his tenderness.
And I pray we'll be ready in the months and the years ahead to meet them as they are, where they are, and to love them into the hope and the freedom of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's pray on all those things. Lord, your compassion is so incredible and your love is so incredible. Thank you that you meet us in everything that we're going through, everything we have gone through that we can look back and say in 2020 hindsight that you were there. And I pray particularly today for the person who's hearing this message and that they feel themselves to be in a jail cell. Thank you that you meet us in that place. Thank you that you're meeting them there right now. I thank you that you care. Thank you that you, as the light of the world, bring light into their situation. And thank you that you also, though also being the light of the world, have experienced at the same time the darkness of that cell. Thank you for your empathy. Thank you for your redemption. Thank you for your cross and resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope you are challenged and encouraged to walk in truth in your everyday. Please share with friends and family, and we can't wait to have you next time on the Messiah Podcast.